This week, I'd like to make the announcement of our early lineup for MicroConf US 2023. This is in Denver, Colorado next April. It will be co-hosted by Leanna Patch of Punchline Copy. We'll have talks from Dev Basu, the CEO of Powered by Search, Patrick Campbell, the founder of ProfitWell, currently the chief strategy officer of Paddle. And we will have our special guest, Syed Balki, the CEO of Awesome Motive. In addition to myself co-hosting with Leanna, and I'll be doing a talk. If you want to hang out with a couple hundred non-venture track indie SaaS founders, in Denver, Colorado, next April, head to microconf.com slash growth. It's going to be an amazing time. I hope to see you there. Welcome back to Startups for the Rest of Us. I'm your host, Rob Walling. This is the podcast for bootstrapped and mostly bootstrapped SaaS companies want to build incredible businesses without sacrificing their freedom, their purpose, or their relationships along the way. I have what I consider an interesting episode today. I'm going to dive in to an idea validation framework I'm calling 5PM because it is, after all, five o'clock somewhere. So this is not about happy hour, nor is it about drinking mezcal and bourbon as much as I like to do those things. It's a framework that looks at startup ideas and uses different criteria and different lenses through which to view them. So I'll get into what 5PM stands for in just a minute. I did want to thank everyone who has left a rating in Apple Podcasts. Since I started my drive to 1,000 ratings, we have jumped a substantial number. And I don't remember the exact number, but I think we were in the mid-800s, approaching 900. We're now at 995 ratings, which is just incredible. We're about to cross that four-figure mark. Ratings are different than reviews. Ratings are when you log into Apple Podcasts and you just click five stars. And if you could do that, that'd be amazing. But we also got a bunch of new reviews this week. Bjorn Brinjar from Iceland. I was just in uh, in Iceland a couple weeks ago. Would have been cool to hang out. Bjorn says, the best resource on launching a SaaS app. Discovered the show six years ago. Went back and listened to all episodes and never missed a new release. Following Rob's playbook, currently stair-stepping a SaaS product towards 1,000 MRR. Highly recommended. That's awesome. Thanks, Bjorn. Steve at Devia Software says, not just for pure startups. In a world filled with fluff content, this podcast really delivers. I've been running a software company for over 15 years. It's devia.com and every episode sparks at least one talking point with our team. Solist from Denmark says, great inspiration for me as a bootstrap SaaS founders and ski, bike, ski, climb from the US says, Rob W., the person behind your success? Ski, bike, ski, climb wrote me a letter in their review. Hey, Rob, recently sold most of my business with an option to sell the rest. In all caps, I could not have done it without your guidance through your podcast. Worked on it about 20 hours a week since 2014. I live in Montana, close to a ski resort, backcountry skiing, rock climbing, and mountain biking. And thanks to you, one of those things got done five days a week for the past eight years. I've created a great lifestyle business for sure. I started the business in my 50s with no knowledge on how to run a SaaS biz, and everything I thought at the start was wrong. 300 episodes later, here I am. This is awesome. Thank you again so much if you've left a rating or a review. And since we're five away from 1,000, it'd be great if you could log in and click that five-star button. And with that... Let's dive in to my idea validation framework I'm calling the 5PM framework. So the reason I'm calling it that is there are five P's and one M in the framework. Yes, it's that clever. So in relative order of importance, the letters that make up the acronym are problem, purchaser, pricing model, market, that's the M, product founder fit, 
and pain to validate. And below each of those, of course, there are sub-bullets, right? So under problem, some things to think through and answer about the problem are, is this an important problem? And is this an urgent problem? Vitamin versus aspirin. So if you've ever seen those matrices where it's tasks that are on your plate and it's how important and how urgent and there's four boxes, in essence, is this an urgent and an important problem? Is this a not urgent and an important problem? Not urgent, not important. Like it's interesting to think about that, you know, not as a two different binaries, but actually as a four boxed matrix. In addition, I have a note that I've started saying to founders when they want to tell me about their idea. And I say, don't tell me what your idea is. Tell me what problem it solves. Start with the problem. And then you can tell me what you want to build to solve it. Because I actually care way more about the problem you're solving than your idea. Because your idea is one solution to that problem. Think about that. Think about when a customer emails you and says, I would love to be able to send an email whenever I click something in your app. So can we add a send email button to this particular space in your workflow? And you think to yourself, That's a, that would be a really weird place for that button, and no one else will want to do that. But is there a way to generalize this? Is there a way to add an automation that happens every time someone does a certain thing. And one of those automations is sending an email, but there are 10 other options, right? This is where a customer brings a solution to you that's not a good one, but they do have a problem they need solved. And you can figure out a bunch of different ways to solve that. That's what I'm saying here. Don't tell me your idea. Tell me what problem it solves. And then from there, we can think through, well, is your idea the best way to solve that problem? Or you know, are there other ways? Is software even the best way to do this? Or is a productized service? Or is consulting? Or is a two-sided marketplace? You know, There are so many different ways that you can solve the same problem. I'm going to run through the other letters, and then I want to do at least one, maybe two examples, depending on how much time we have, and kind of run them through this 5 p.m. filter. This is very much a work in progress, by the way. It's something that has obviously taken shape over 10 plus years of thinking about it, and I had a bunch of notes. And at the encouragement of some folks on my team at MicroConf and TinySeed, I've been trying to codify and kind of refine it and sharpen it a bit. So I want to go through the letters and then do at least one, two examples, depending on how much time we have. The first one was problem. The second P is purchaser. And so this is obviously about your buyer, right? Does this buyer tend to adopt new technology? So we can compare medical devices, we compare attorneys with developers and maybe web designers, right? So attorneys, a lot of them tend to be pretty tech resistant. Medical devices, uh, yeah, of course there's new tech coming out, but like it's a very hard sale to make, right? Versus web designers, web developers, they'll try a lot of different things. People on product hunt uh, are going to be more likely to adopt new technology. Is the purchaser willing and do they have the ability to pay? And so this really falls in line with price sensitivity, right? It's uh, an IT department at a Fortune 500 company, of course, has massive budget versus a musician or a hobbyist. If someone wants to record a podcast about their Dungeons and Dragons game. The willingness and ability to pay are much lower than a lot of other markets and with particular buyers. And lastly, on purchaser, I have this phrase and I'm going to try to figure out a better word for it, but right now I have like sophistication is what it is. And really it's, are they a consumer? So it's B2C sale. Are they aspirational or hobbyist? So it's like B2A, B2Aspirational. I think of like photographers, you know, it's kind of prosumer almost, B2P, one of these B2P, B2A, such as photographers or bloggers. I want to make money online, folks who are more likely to try something and then churn out, right? Maybe one level above a consumer. It's not like a Netflix subscription, but they are paying to try to make money. Again, photographers, maybe they do weddings here and there, but they are more likely to kind of churn out of their hobby or churn out of this kind of money-making endeavor because it is such a small business. 
business. And then we have B2B, which obviously, you know, is a business and B2E, which is enterprise, going to take longer sales cycles, fewer deals, large deals. Now, is there a B to SMB and a B to larger B? Of course there is. But let's, for now, I like these four categories, consumer, aspirational, business, and enterprise. So that was the second P. The third one is pricing model. Can this work as a subscription? I do talk to some folks who bring an idea and I'm like, you know, that's kind of a one-time use thing. I just don't think a subscription makes sense here. So that's just a, you know, a simple off-the-cuff check, an estimate of the average revenue per account. And this is one that really comes with experience, I think, in knowing different industries and, and their willingness to pay. And then is it going to be monthly fee, mostly annual? Is it a share of revenue? Dot, dot, dot. You know, there are a lot of different options. I think we have six different options, maybe seven that we ask about in the state of independent SaaS survey about different pricing models. So those are the first three Ps. And again, I, I'm kind of putting these in order of importance in the way that I would evaluate these. And as we go lower, each of these is still important, but less important than the, the one above it. So we had the three Ps, now we have the M, and this is the market, right? How big is the market? The total reachable market, not the total addressable market. Obviously, the difference is every veterinarian in the country versus every veterinarian that you can reasonably reach without spending a kajillion dollars. Size matters a lot to venture-backed companies because they want to be billion or $10 billion companies. It matters a heck of a lot less to our types of startups. If you want to get to a million ARR, $5 million of annual recurring revenue, the market does not have to be that large as long as people do have that willingness to pay that we talked about in the, in the purchaser P. And this is actually a good time for me to interject and say, I see this 5 p.m. framework as evaluating business ideas that can at least get to seven figures of ARR. Maybe they can do eight and maybe they can do 50 million or 100 million and get to nine figure. But this is not for you know a tiny little lifestyle business. Let's say you want to do 10K, 20K MRR. Those are amazing businesses. Don't get me wrong. I've had a few in my day and they were great. If you want to Think about building a business like that. Go read Start Small, Stay Small. It's like $10 on Kindle. And basically, I walk through how I was building businesses like that that are truly these amazing lifestyle businesses that just throw off cash. The valuation criteria is much less relevant. With the Start Small, Stay Small lifestyle SaaS, that's more about finding a traffic source and getting in front of it. Right, it's it's finding existing demand, whether it's organic search in one of the top 10, 20 search engines. It's getting in an app store or an add-on store where there's existing traffic and just channeling that and building this great little business. But this is that next step. These are the kinds of companies that come to MicroConf Growth. These are the kinds of companies we fund with TinySeed. These are the kinds of companies I'm writing my next book for. It's a, that spiritual successor to Start Small, Stay Small, where it's like, well, I want to build a $5 million ARR company. How should we think about that? And so that's where that total reachable market is can be a lot smaller than you might think. So again, we are in market, which is the M in the 5PM framework, and that was size. The next is ease of reaching customers, like are they online? What marketing channels do I need to use? What are the costs of these going to be? What stage is the market in? Is it early? Is it mid? Is it mature? Is it growing or flat? Is it declining? It's all types of things to think about. When I think about Josh Pigford launching Bear Metrics 10 years ago-ish, early market, because Stripe was still pretty new. You know, it was early market, it was growing quickly, amazing time to get into it. When I think of ADPNR launching what became WooCommerce, although it was called WooThemes back in the day, was WordPress early? Was it growing fast? Yes and yes. So if you can get into a market like that, very hard to do, and very hard to do multiple times especially. But if you can do that, that can give you some tailwinds. Not the CSS framework, actual wins that are, and not even actual wins, just a theoretical, 
<laughs> hypothetical, uh, metaphorical tailwinds that are, are blowing. You, you get the picture. I think I've taken this one a little too far. And lastly, in the market is competition. How much competition is there? Are they big companies? Are they other startups? So those that's 3 p.m. So if I had these, this would be the 3 p.m. framework. And unfortunately, we wouldn't be able to have uh, an adult beverage. And I realize as I'm talking through these, there's a lot here. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to take this Google Doc that is currently just a list of indented bullets. I'm going to send it to producer Ron, and we're going to, in some form or fashion, make it accessible such that if you opt in to the startupsfortherestofus.com email list, this will come to you in the first email. And so it may be something as simple as an undesigned PDF, or if we can put Startups for the Rest of Us branding on it in time, we will do that. But either way, you will get the information I am talking through here. And of course, we'll have a a high-level summary of the top-level 5 p.m. bullets in the show notes. Our fourth P is product founder fit. So the questions to think about here are, what about your background and access to this market makes you think you should build this? If the product is highly technical, do you have the tech chops? If it's a crowded space, do you have marketing chops? If you have an audience or a network in this space, these are unique advantages that you have. And do you like this problem or are you just doing it opportunistically? You don't have to love it. Like none of the, that's the thing. None of these things I'm bringing up are absolute deal breakers. Each one is just another data point to gather when evaluating the idea. And the fifth P is the pain to validate it. And I'm still figuring out if this is pain to validate or pain to actually build it. But I think since it's idea phase, I like the idea of things that are easier to build an MVP for, that are easier to validate, should get some credit for that. If you can have a few conversations and validate this versus having to spend months building software, I think that's, I think that's important. I don't think this one is nearly as important as the other four Ps in the M to be honest. And that is why it's fifth. And I've considered making it the 4 p.m. framework, but I think this deserves some consideration. I also like the idea that, of course, it's five o'clock somewhere, as I've said. And so now I'm going to walk through two ideas and run them quickly through the this 5 p.m. filter and kind of talk through how I view them. And there's no conclusion. There's no score out of 100. Not yet, anyways. But the idea is to see some of the pros and cons and think through whether an idea is better than another or whether we think an idea will fly. So I'm going to talk through an idea that John Yong Fook tweeted about on September 12th. We'll include a link to the tweet in the show notes. And this business idea actually appears in my most recent YouTube video that I recorded. If you're not subscribed to the MicroConf YouTube channel, you should check it out. But we have a video called Seven SaaS Ideas I'm Surprised No One Has Built Yet. And that's the working title. So it might change by the time this episode goes live. And frankly, the YouTube video may go live just a few days after this episode. But if you go to microconf.com slash YouTube, you can subscribe to the channel and then you can get notifications when new videos go live. But our SaaS ideas no one has built yet or SaaS ideas you should steal now have been a really popular series. And I've started kind of crowdsourcing some ideas when people want to basically give them away or have things they want to see in the world they aren't going to build themselves in essence. And so this one just happened to be in my Twitter feed because I I follow John Young Fook as should you. And he says, opportunity for an indie hacker. My sister works in recruitment and she says there is no decent NPS tool, that's net promoter score, that integrates with their ATS, which is an applicant tracking system. So HR folks use that to track incoming job applicants. So no NPS tool that integrates with their ATS, which is Job Adder, which has an open API. She's only found one tool so far, and it's $800 a month, a bit too steep for small recruitment firms. Interesting idea. So let's walk it through the 5 p.m. So the problem, what's the problem? 
The problem is we want to get NPS scores from people who apply to our, to our job, right? Who, who wind up in our ATS, to use the nerdy three-letter acronym. So we want to get NPS from them, and there's no easy or cheap way to do it. That's the problem. Is it an important problem? I, I think so. I think HR departments and people ops folks are probably graded, like assuming that that's a KPI, you know, assuming that that is something that their managers look at, then it's an important problem. But if you were to talk to 10 HR professionals and they're like, yeah, we don't care about NPS of our applicants, then I don't know, then it's not important. So I would start with conversations. I probably know myself five HR or people ops people. And so I would email each of them and I would say, do you run NPS? How important is it? Do you look at it? And if there's mixed results, you got to keep, keep doing the research, right? And then there's an urgency, which is a vitamin versus aspirin. So in this case, if it is important, then it's probably urgent as well. I mean, if it's important, then they can't wait a year to do it because they need that KPI, right? So in this case, the importance maybe pushes some urgency. So, so far, let's assume that it is important and urgent. This is intriguing. I'm intrigued by this idea. So the purchaser, does this market adopt new technology? So HR professionals, people ops folks. Yeah, there's a lot of really big people ops tech, HR tech. So I would give this a yes, as good as any, you know, maybe not as as much as web developers and entrepreneurs and all of us who hang out on uh, Product Hunt and Hacker News, but I think there's a, a lot of value here. Willingness to pay, price sensitivity, ah, they have budgets, and sophistication. I mean, these are solidly in the, the B2B. There's not aspirational people doing a hobby, right? HR is not a hobby. So B2B or B2E sales, the pricing model, subscription, well, sure, because they need to run NPS constantly. I think that's great. The ARPA estimate, I mean, right here we have, the only one is $800 a month. So let's just say our average revenue per account is half that, $400 a month, $200 a month. These, these are good numbers. You can build a decent business on this as long as the sales cycles are not brutal. And then is it monthly, annual, or other? In this case, I would guess you'd want to go annual because I think the sales cycle is going to be a little involvement in doing it. It kind of depends on the specifics of is it just an add-on in their little app store or are you doing you know a one, two, three call closes and we want to do annual. So those were the first three P's. Now we do the market, the size, total reachable market is the HR space big. It's huge, right? It's massive. There's a lot of buyers out there. Ease of reaching them are the online. Well, of course, they're on LinkedIn. Pay-per-click ads are going to work. They're probably in a bunch of Facebook groups and Slack groups. Like there are a lot of places that you can reach them online. So I would say in general, not you know terribly hard to reach. Is the market early or mature, growing flat or declining? I would say it's growing and um, it's definitely not early, you know, because there is a lot of, of HR tech, people ops tech, but I would say, I don't, I don't know what's in between early and mature. I'm wondering if there's maybe an in-between moniker I need for that. But personally, I think it's at a pretty good spot to enter because there is an ecosystem, money's being spent, and you're basically just attaching to an existing system. Product founder fit, well, we'd need a theoretical founder in this case. So let's say me, like what about my background and access to this market makes you think you should build this? So for me, I actually don't have much access and I don't think I should build this because I don't really have, I don't know many, you know, HR people and I'm not an expert in it. And then there was, do you have tech chops and marketing chops, unique advantage, audience, network in the space? Do you love the problem? So that would be, these would be questions to ask yourself for almost all those. For me, it's mostly not, like I do not have a unique advantage. And then pain to validate, right? How much time to market, build an MVP. It's an interesting one. So I do think early validation for me, the next steps would be to talk to as many HR professionals as I could. The nice part is I'd start with job adder per what John Young Fook said, and I would try to find as many job adder customers as I could and have conversations. I would be in the, are there job adder forums? Is there a job adder Slack group? 
anyone using that, it can I go to built with and or datanize and figure out who's using using job adder and reach out with the, I'm not selling anything. I don't have anything to sell you. I'm a developer. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm thinking about building something. Do you have this need? That'd be a pretty good way to start validating that. And if people are clamoring for it and you get that urgency and importance, then that's where I start thinking about what's the minimum code that I can write to validate this. And maybe it's no code, maybe it's low code. You know, I don't, I don't know what their API is like or whatever, but I think building a super manual, you know, imagine like it sends an email that's hard coded into a JSON file or a text file that you have. And, you know, imagine that to, to make a change to it, even to the wording, you have to go commit a change to the trunk and deploy it. That's fine. That's an MVP. Like this is a definition. And you can build that out and make it better over time. And then, you know, there are some things like I didn't include here that I probably need to add to the framework of like platform risk. Like how much platform risk if you just build on job adder? There's definitely some. But in this case, how many ATSs are there? There are a lot. And, and there are some leading ones and you could start building NPS tools for them. Although they may exist, this requires more research on your part. So overall, I like this idea. Do I think it could be a seven-figure idea just doing NPS for job adder? Absolutely not. <laughs> the market's just not big enough. But do I think that this could be a really interesting foothold or a wedge into a market? Because doing things in public creates opportunity, right? It's those who are shipping things that suddenly realize, oh, what if I pivot this into that? Or what if I add this extra piece to it? And suddenly you build and build and you can find yourself expanding and building a pretty incredible business, even starting with small aspirations. And the other idea I'm going to run through quickly was actually suggested by a MicroConf Connect member named Jeff Gates. Jeff is an involved member of that community, and Jeff, I appreciate the suggestion that, that you posted. The idea is software for independently owned airport hotels to rent out extra parking spaces for air travelers. And again, this appears in the YouTube video, Seven SaaS Ideas. I'm surprised no one has built yet. And so let's talk about this. Software for independently owned airport hotels to rent out extra parking spaces for air travelers. So the problem is, we're assuming, and we haven't validated this, that independently owned airport hotels have parking spaces that they want to monetize. That's the problem you're trying to solve. I don't know if it's a problem. We need to figure that out, right? This would be part of the validation step of starting to talk to them. I also wonder, do not independently owned airport hotels need to rent out parking spaces and do they have a system? Because I like making one sale to Marriott, even if it takes a long time, and getting a whole bunch of seats, right? A whole bunch of hotels that have to pay rather than doing the one-offs. Now, the one-offs will be easier up front, but the big money will be with the chains. So our two questions, is it important and is it urgent? Is it an important problem? I don't know. This is a tough one, right? And this is where I'd need to have conversations with them. It sounds great, like you're going to make them more money. But if they're not aware of this problem and you're going to have to tell them you can do this and you should think about this, you know, imagine going up to the front desk and talking to kind of a middle manager, checking people in. You have to convince them that it's important enough that then they bring their boss, right? Or then they talk to the owner of the hotel. So unless hotels are already thinking about this, I don't know if it's important. The other thing is urgency. Well, it's always urgent to make more money, right? But is solving this particular problem urgent or is remodeling their rooms or hiring the next waiter in the restaurant, like are those urgent? Like those are very urgent problems because the hotel can't function without them. This one feels perhaps less urgent than what it takes to continue running the hotel. But, you know, the draw of money can sometimes uh, provide urgency. I don't know, I'm going to give this one a, a mid-grade. It certainly is not high on the urgency scale, I think. In terms of the purchaser, do independent hotel owners adopt new tech? A bit. 
I don't think they're jumping on it. I mean, they're certainly not like web developers, designers, and all that. The example I keep using, I think they probably adopted. It's going to really depend, right? It's going to depend on the owner, which I think is is more in kind of the the brick and mortar. You know, if you're a, a lawyer or you're a realtor or you're someone who owns a hotel, you don't necessarily care about the tech. You care about the problem they solve. So I would say this is lower on the adopting new technology scale. Are they willing to pay? Do they have the ability to pay? I would say usually they probably aren't willing to, they probably have the ability, but in this case, I think I would structure the pricing, you know, in a way where I made a certain amount per spot that was rented or something to make it kind of a no-brainer, at least to start with, such that this became less of a concern. And lastly, sophistication, you know, are they a consumer, are they aspirational business or enterprise? I would certainly say they're a business. Now, some of these, if they're sole proprietors, they can think a little, it can be a little cheap. You know, I don't know how big these hotels are. Certainly at airport hotels, I'm thinking they're probably big enough that they're, most are owned by some type of corporation rather than an individual. It's not a and b with, with six rooms in it, right? These are going to be businesses run more like businesses. So that's the sophistication I would put them at. Now, the pricing model is a subscription. Well, of course, because they're going to be doing this on an ongoing basis. And so if you can charge a monthly fee, great. This one, I do think, especially early on, I would probably make it that no-brainer pricing of as you rent spaces out, we take a cut or a dollar per space, not a dollar, but a dollar amount per space. Average revenue per account estimate. I don't know, but I do know that to make this sale worthwhile, you're going to want, I would say, at least, I don't know, four or 500 a month per account and maybe it's a thousand like you just you know you're not gonna know how many calls to close until you get into it so this is not something you're gonna charge 50 bucks 100 bucks a month for yeah it's just not gonna be worth the effort and then in terms of the market the size i don't know how big this market is actually if we just look at independently owned airport hotels because most of the airport hotels that i see are the big name brands right they're the marriott's the hyatt's and everything so i don't know and i do have a question about that you know in my head that i would want to do more research how easy are they to reach I think this is a tough one. Certainly not as easy to reach as HR professionals that we just talked to, right? It's like, where do people who own these hotels hang out? And you only want airport hotels too. So that actually makes it tougher. So I can imagine in-person events where all the trade events, right? Where all the hotel owners go and there's probably a trade magazine and trade websites and maybe some trade groups. That's great. But are there airport hotel trade groups? Because it, it makes it harder to justify the spend. If you go to this big event, but only 10% of the customers are airport hotels, that does pose a challenge. Bouncing to product founder fit. This again is what about your background in marketing and tech jobs? It's going to come down to you as the founder. I can't imagine most founders would have a unique advantage in this space. And do you love this problem? I don't know. I don't know how many founders are going to you know love this problem. You'll just have to figure that out for your own. And then pain to validate. This one's interesting because I think a conversations would certainly be 10, 20, 30 conversations. I'd need to have a lot to uh, understand more about this. And then the second thing I'd be thinking is how can I build this with the minimum amount of effort for a pilot with one or two of these hotels? And realistically, I think there's a lot of going to be a lot of effort on the hotel's part to block off certain spots, put numbers, put signs, say no one park here unless you have booked it through the XYZ system, right? That's probably going to be more effort than anything. I think that you can do a responsive web app or maybe Maybe a mobile app. I would try to do it with one of these no-code builders that, you know, this seems really more like a CRUD app. You do CRUD plus payment, right? Create, read, update, delete, and then add Stripe payments in. And so the minimum amount could be a responsive web app. A lot of people are going to want to do it on their phone, not to administer it, but the consumer side, right, of people actually booking it. 
So a responsive web app or a mobile app would be great. And then some type of web admin that basically, but you know, I'm talking MVP, do you even need a web admin? Or I don't think you do, because really it's a matter of the hotel providing you with a Google Sheet or a spreadsheet of like, these are the numbers of the spots and these are the prices or, you know, whatever it is. And then this is where you just stuff it into your database using using SQL and you kind of just go from there. You don't have an admin console. You know, you do everything manually from the start. And so now that it's in that database, then the the customer facing mobile web app says this is available on this date for this price. And when they click to buy it now, there's a, a Stripe payments link. I forget the technical term for it, but you know, it's a pretty easy checkout process. And that's what I'd be thinking about in terms of of this idea is how can I validate it? So I'm less certain that there's a desperate need for this one compared to the HR and PS idea. And so how do we get Around that, well, we try to validate as much as possible. And that's through the conversations I said, and that's through not writing a bunch of code, but writing the minimum amount of code to get the hotel to try it out. You're going to have to convince the hotel to, as I said, put up signage for parking spots, but also to promote it, right? Because otherwise, I mean, I I guess you're going to be promoting, I haven't thought through this part, actually. Are you going to be promoting as the founder? I guess you're going to kind of want a two-sided marketplace because you're going to want interest coming to your site, or is this something they're promoting? So that's a whole, in the interest of time, I won't go down that thread right now in terms of how I think about it. But I hope that today's episode, diving into the 5 p.m. framework, has been enlightening. I know that I got into some nitty gritty there and I appreciate you sticking with me. As I said, if you go to startupsfortherestofus.com and enter your email address, we will make sure that the full 5 p.m. framework is sent to you via email. And as always, I appreciate you showing up and listening as I nerd out on all things SaaS and startups. This is Rob Walling signing off from episode 628, and I'll be back in your ears again next week.